Then said I, uh -huh. of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6 altogether. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Verse 7. And he laid it. Where did he lay it? And said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity and thy sin purged. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. If you've known Jesus and if you understand the gospel a little bit, that ought to cause you or provoke a hallelujah. Because what can wash away or who alone is able to take our sin away? It didn't say your sin is covered. Today we get to talk about worship, but ultimately I'm excited today. You want to know why? Because we get to preach the gospel. And what's the gospel? That there is a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth who 2,000 years ago hung on a cross, a crown of thorn placed upon his head, and this pre-incarnate Christ, watch it now, would send the burning one to take a coal from the altar of incense. Watch it now, lay it on the lips of Isaiah, and that angel would say unto Isaiah, this coal has touched thine lips, and your iniquity is not covered. Your iniquity is what? It is taken away. Only one can take your sin away. Hallelujah. John the Baptist said, Behold, I wish you'd help me preach. Behold the Lamb of God that what? That takes, that takes away the sin of the world. Only one is qualified to take your sin away. If you're standing in the presence of a holy God this morning, it's because someone has taken your sin away. And God forbid, be it far from you, that you ever forget that you stand in the presence of a holy God because Jesus has taken your sin away. Somebody shout hallelujah. Father, as we sit at your feet, Lord, we are in awe. We reverence you. We revere your holy name. Because there is only one Lord who is worthy. John the Revelator said, who is worthy? Who can open up the seal? Who can break the seal? Who is worthy of opening up the books? And then the voice cried out, there is one. Behold the Lamb, the Lamb of God. You are the Lamb of God who takes our sin away. The one that was worthy. The only one in heaven that was worthy to open up the books. Or you are he. You are him who was and is and is to come. You are the one that Isaiah saw seated on the throne. Lord God, we love you, we worship you, and we declare that you are holy. That you alone are worthy of our praise. As we sit at your feet, I pray that you would take that same coal, touch our lips, cleanse our hearts, and renew and revive, Lord God, the zeal for your holy presence. Zeal, Lord, for worship that is truly, truly, truly to be given to you alone. Help us, Lord, I pray. Give us grace. We're in dire need of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated.
Do you know what kind of man you are? Do you know what kind of woman you are? Maybe I should ask your children. Pastor Alice used to say, Ronan, don't you go talking to the kids at church. I said, why not? Because they tell the truth. Don't you go interviewing the kids at church, Ronan, because they, then you're going to find out about the brethren and you're going to have a hard time loving them. So my mom used to tell me, talk to their kids. They know if they pray at home, how much they read their Bible. You want to know something about somebody? Ask the kids. That was Pastor Alice's counsel to me. Don't talk to the kids. Because if you talk to the kids, you're going to know the parents. When Isaiah saw a vision of the throne of God, he knew what kind of man he was. Isaiah did not leave the encounter talking about how great he felt. Isaiah didn't see the throne of God, the glory of the pre-incarnate Christ, talking about how wonderful he was. Consider now what modern Christendom has convinced us that the gospel is. John MacArthur, for all of his flaws and failures or his ideologies, he had, he had a discussion with Ben Shapiro, a Jew who uh, ultimately has done a lot of good during his time as well. But they had a discussion a week ago. And it was circling all, I know you might not find yourself in theological circles or you might not immerse yourself into theological conversations, but your pastor does. And so in, in, in listening to the interview between John MacArthur and Ben Shapiro, the conversation was ultimately, do, do not the Jews and Christians worship the same God? John MacArthur's response to Ben Shapiro was ultimately, it all, everything falls on this, this ultimately is the dividing line, who you say Jesus is. Because we can talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that God now has revealed himself through his son, the Messiah, the one that we believe is named Jesus. If Isaiah saw Jesus sitting on the throne, and he did, And what does that vision of Jesus, or what should that vision of Jesus provoke in us? John MacArthur began to say, the gospel is never, if the gospel is rightly proclaimed, the gospel was never meant to provoke feelings of goodness in you initially. What the gospel, if the gospel is not an offense, then it's not the gospel, because that's what the Bible says. The gospel is first an offense. All the feel-good things that we experience are a byproduct of having right relationship with God. But when you are a sinner, when you are a sinner outside of grace, having a vision of a holy God should provoke fear in you to the point that you would say, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah, in light of the vision of the throne of God, he knew what kind of man he was. I wonder if we know what kind of men we are. When we worship God, to understand true biblical worship, if you miss this fundamental truth, then you will never truly encounter what it's like to worship a holy God in light, in light of what the scripture lays out very clearly for us when we worship around the throne you are first you should first have awe and reverence it might not always be that same terror but what will never subside is a reverence for a holy and a righteous God 
If you find yourself in the presence of the Lord and there isn't that desire to humble yourself before his, under his mighty hand, then you truly have not understood who he is and what you are. I'll say that again, who he is and what you are. Let me help clarify that if you're still wondering what you are. You and I are clay, we're dirt, we're dust. We are in need of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and purging. We are in need of this. And the moment you enter into his presence, assuming that you are anything different, whoa. And not woe, W-H-O-A or W-O-A-H. It's woe, W-O-E. Woe am I. Don't ever be afraid of being undone. I said it last week. God can't do anything with you until you're first undone. He breaks us all the way down, but he does it to build us back up again. And we're afraid of being broken down because we want to always look strong. I wish you'd help me talk. Be real about it. We always want to look strong. We want to portray uh, the, the, this, 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 the, the, this aura of strength and, and, and power at all times. But God does miraculous things in brokenness. Can you imagine having a vision of the Lord God like Isaiah? Can you imagine seeing the Lord Jesus on his throne with the burning ones around him singing holy, 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 holy one to another? Can you imagine that? Put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. How do you think you'd leave that encounter? God! How would you leave that encounter? It's no surprise then that men like John on the Isle of Patmos, they, they oftentimes fell like dead men. They're not the only ones. Everybody in the word of God that had an encounter of either the throne of God or Jesus pre-incarnate, they all had the same reaction. They fell as dead men without strength before the Lord God. Now, consider the grace and mercy of Jesus. How we can stand in the presence of God this morning and worship him because he allows us to do that. And yet we don't take advantage of that opportunity. I can say for myself and for yourself, the Lord forgive us. For offering him something that is truly less than what he deserves. Look at the text now. Let's look at verse 5. Are you with me? Shout hallelujah. All right. So let's consider the cleansing of the prophet. Verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am what? I am undone. Everybody say, I'm undone. Because I'm a man of what? Of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, have you ever asked yourself, why, why such an emphasis on the mouth? Why such an emphasis on the lips? Because with the heart one believes, but with the mouth one confesses unto what? Unto salvation. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. So for whatever reason, the God of creation has, that he's, he, he's connected the heart and the mouth. Surround yourself with somebody, listen to somebody talking for five minutes and you'll know typically what's in their heart. It doesn't take very long. You want to know why? Because the Bible's true. The word of God is truth. Whatever's in a man's heart will come out of their mouth. And so God has put it, there's a tie there, the heart and the mouth. And so watch it now. He says, whoa, am I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of what? Of unclean lips. We could take this verse right here and give you a thousand other scriptures that talk about the poison, literally the poison, the poison that our, that our tongue spews. He goes on to say, for mine eyes have seen the king. Somebody shout the king, the Lord of hosts. Now let's look at verse six. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. 
Having what? Having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Consider this. The burning one didn't take the coal with his own hands. He, he needed a tongue. He needed something to grab that coal. The burning one, the coal. Now, now, now we, believe, we believe that the earthly tabernacle was ultimately a copy of what we see in heaven. If we had the time, we could go to Exodus chapter 30 where it talks about the altar of incense that was before the Holy of Holies. If you're familiar with the temple in the Old Testament, we know that there's the altar of incense of the tabernacle of God. Exodus chapter 30, uh, the altar of incense, it was right before the Holy of Holies. Now the seraphim minister right before the throne of God and they take that burning coal with tongues and he comes and he ministers to Isaiah. That tells us, first of all, you got to get this, that tells us that worship is a place where God meets us and not only does he meet us in worship but he ministers to us I want you to consider the following Isaiah is by the throne of God and the Lord would send a seraphim to minister to Isaiah worship is always a place where God meets us and ministers to us isn't that amazing Think about this. The seraphim, watch it now. They're, they're around the throne of God. They're singing holy, holy, holy. They're declaring holy, holy, holy one to another. And now, watch it now. I believe at the behest of the Lord Jesus, the Lord sends that angel to minister to who? To Isaiah. I believe in like manner. When we worship God, the Lord meets us. And not only does he meet us there, but he ministers to us. There. Where's there? At the altar. Now, by the altar, I don't only refer to this place right here that I stand and minister to. I, I, I mean, the altar, ultimately, the altar typifies a place of sacrifice. The altar typifies that lifestyle, the way of living, a place where God can come and meet you, a place where you can worship in spirit and in truth. You should have an altar at your home. You should have an altar at your place of business. Here's ultimately why. Everywhere you go, the altar goes with. Years ago, I'll never forget preaching a word called the perpetual altar. I'll never forget that word because that was one time that the Lord revealed something with such clarity to me. He said, there is a perpetual altar because this ultimately is where I meet you. This is where right relationship begins on the altar of sacrifice. He said, son, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter how deep you go in God, there's always going to be an altar. You're never going to be able to live a life apart from sacrifice. You're never going to be able to live a life that pleases me without an altar. Don't ever negate the altar. And a lot of us, listen, you have trouble worshiping. Thank you, Holy Ghost, because the altar is in ruin. Your altar lies in ruin. Nehemiah was called to rebuild the wall. But oftentimes that wall, it's not only about a wall that needs to be rebuilt. It's about an altar that lay in ruin. It's about saying, God, there is a place of sacrifice in my heart that has been long since destroyed. I don't worship anymore why because my altar has been broken down if your altar if you find yourself struggling to worship God you might want to evaluate what does the altar of my heart look like or what idols abide there I want you to notice and, 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 I, and I'm going somewhere with this somebody said our heart is a factory an idol producing factory I love that. That's amazing when you consider that. Somebody said, my heart is a, is, is, is a factory that produces idols constantly. I know you didn't say amen to that, but it's true. Every day your heart is producing idols that are competing for devotion. Idols that are competing for your attention. Idols that are competing for your worship. Because we all worship. The question is what? 
Notice that Isaiah is around the altar of God. And that tells us, secondly, you got to take note of this. That tells us that the altar, watch now, the throne is for God. The altar is for us. The throne is always for God. Now, you want to know why we're in trouble? You want to know why we're in trouble? You want to know why we're in trouble? Because, the, because this, this is no longer so evidently clear. The throne that Isaiah saw was for God. And the altar is for us. The throne is where he reigns and rules, is it not? The altar is where you worship and where he meets you. But I wonder if in your life and in if mine, I wonder if these things are backwards. I wonder if he's on the throne and I wonder if you're at the altar. Or I wonder if you're on the throne. The throne is for God. The altar is for us. Somebody say the throne is for God. Okay, I need you to help me. Somebody say the throne is for God. The altar's for us. How many would say today, I, Pastor, I realize that I need, the, I need the Lord and I need that altar. I need, my God, we need this altar. I cringe as a pastor. I cringe when people avoid the altar like if it's the plague. I'm serious. I see people oftentimes, it's such an honor to be able to approach the altar of God. And, and, and this, 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 this platform made by, by, by hands of men, this, this place, God looks on places like this favorably. Think of this. The God of creation looks at a place, just a small little place, and it doesn't matter how big or small, but he looks down on this and he says, I look favorably there because that's where I meet my people. And it's not just about a church house. It's the altar of your heart as well. That's where I, that's where I will meet you. That's where you can worship me and I will come and minister to you. Don't ever negate the altar. Not only the spiritual one, but the literal one too. When was the last time you came and got on your face on the altar of God and said, Lord, purge me, cleanse me now. Nothing wrong with praying at your chair, but when's the last time you came to the altar and just worshiped God? This place is a place for worship. By the way, during praise and worship, I love it. There are some sisters that come to this church. As soon as praise and worship comes, they come right up to the altar. There's nothing that says that you can't worship right here from the altar. You don't have to worship from your chair. You can worship right up here. You can kneel down, pray, do whatever you want, because this place is designated for that kind of activity. Somebody say, it's the altar. The altar is for who? The altar is for us. It's where God meets us and ministers to us. Don't you ever forget that the throne is for God and the altar is for us. We're living in a day and time where this thing is backwards. I said it again. We'll say it again. We're living in a day and time when this thing is backwards. We sit on the throne of our hearts. What we want to do, our pride, our ego, our ministries even, it's right there. This thing is backwards. The throne is for God. The altar is for us. Seeing God, though, seeing him on his throne, it ought to do something to you. Isaiah 64, watch what he says. Isaiah 64 and 6, he says, but we are all, not some, we are all as a what? As an, un put it up there, Isaiah 64 verse 6, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as what? Are as filthy. He's talking to us. Y'all ready? Read it again. But we are all as what? And all are, are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us. Isn't it encouraging to know that our best works, our righteousness, is like filthy rags. But our sin, our iniquity has been taken away by the Lord Jesus. One of my favorite verses of scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin. But that's not, not, that's not all it says. It doesn't finish there. So that we might become 
the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. We sing a song that says, He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. The scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus. You don't realize right now, but because Jesus, watch it now, at the cross, because the fire of God's judgment was poured out upon the Lamb of God on that altar of sacrifice, your sin was taken away. In Isaiah's vision, a, a coal was taken from the altar of incense in the heavenly tabernacle. Coal was taken and it was set upon his lips. And the word of God says that his iniquity was taken away from him. 2,000 years ago on that altar of sacrifice, the Lamb of God was consumed by that fire or the, which typifies the judgment of God. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus so that you and I and all who trust in him might have the righteous indignation of a holy God removed from us. And all our sin, all our iniquity, all our shame was taken away so that we might now become the what? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you realize today that right now you are the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and the anger of a holy God, an anger that is rightfully ours, has been taken away, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. So has he removed our sin from us. You're not hearing me today, but your sin has been taken away. If a preacher stood up here and told you, you're about to get a billion dollars, I promise you everybody will be, whoo, whoo, whoo. I'm not lying to you. If I told you I have the winning Powerball numbers, give them to me. And you would perish and not take anything with you. You would die and end up naked before a holy God. You could have a gazillion dollars, if that's even a thing, and still die and take nothing with you. Naked I came, naked I shall. I'm telling you that your sin was taken away from you. That ought to cause you to stomp your feet, lift your hands, and give God a praise that he's worthy of because you don't realize just exactly how valuable that is. Well, do I really got to get that excited? Yes, you do. One moment in hell. Not an eternity. One moment in hell. Forget a moment. One second in hell. One second in hell. Consider this. People apart from Jesus will spend eternity in hell. If you don't trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will not go to heaven. I'm sorry. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door. You can't get in any other way. You ought to thank Jesus every day for your eternal salvation. Because what Isaiah saw has taken place in our heart and our life, at least I hope it has. I hope you've seen a vision of Jesus. I hope you've seen him in all his glory. I hope you've recognized him as the Lord God. And I hope that you've seen yourself in light of his holiness as you truly are and that that drove you to repent of your sin.
and say, Jesus, cleanse me of all my iniquity. If you have, then you are as white as the driven snow. Your sins have been taken away. Your iniquity has been taken away. And you, sir, one day will spend eternity in the presence of an unveiled God. That ought to cause you to shout, thank you, Jesus. Can you clap your hands and give God praise for your salvation? He meets us. How many have ever been ministered to while you were worshiping the Lord? Have you ever been ministered to while you were worshiping? Charles Spurgeon wrote the following. He said, Isaiah knew he did not serve the Lord like these seraphim, the burning ones. So God said, I'll light a fire in you also. Jehovah, who is a consuming fire, lest we forget, can only fitly be served by those who are on fire, whether they be angels or men. I love that. Spurgeon said, Jehovah took, he took, he took that coal and he said, I'll light a fire in you because he who is a consuming fire can only fitly be served by those who are on fire. When was the last time you burned for him? John Calvin wrote the following. He said, by this figure, therefore, Isaiah was taught that all purity flows from God alone. All purity, not some, all purity flows from God alone. I love, I, I love the look on people's faces when I tell them, you have nothing good that you can produce in and of yourself. Well, yes, I do. I think I'm all right. I know, I know what you think. But you can't produce anything that's truly pure because we, we're, we're, we're humans. We, we, we fail. Can you, are you honest enough with yourself to admit that you have issues? If you don't believe that, then let's, let's, just, let's just examine your life closely. How many of you could say, Pastor, I know I have issues every day. How many of you have sinned already this morning? How many of you thought something, how many of you, thought something you shouldn't have thought today? Just today already. What t- it's barely 8.53 in the morning. How much have you sinned already? It's 8.53. Who sins by 8.53? <laughs> Brother Flower, you've already sinned. It's not even 9 o'clock. Have you even had your coffee? <laughs> How many rejoice in knowing that all purity comes from God alone? It's God alone. You're purified, justified, and dare I say, almost dignified. Not because you're pure or holy by yourself, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. That's good news, like Minister Wilson would say. That's good news. Somebody say hallelujah. Verse 7, he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched my lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. The angel told Isaiah, your iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. That tells us that number two, worship, true worship is a place of cleansing, always will be. When there's dirt and junk and filth in my heart, it's because I need to worship God. Let me say that better. When there's worship and junk and filth in my life, it's because I haven't spent time in worship. And I'm not talking about a worship service. I mean worship. I'm going to take it further. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, even 30 minutes of songs rarely is enough to truly enter into worship. I'm telling you the truth. When you really begin to worship God, I mean, it's going to take more than that little bit because worship is intimacy. 
It's intimacy. It's when God, it's where he meets us. He begins to, he, he, he begins to pour in and take out. And that's hard to do in a 15-minute song service. That's why it's not enough just to come to church on Sunday and say, thank God. No, don't misunderstand. I'm glad you're here on a Sunday. Praise God for that. But what we just did a moment ago, can we all truly say, man, I had a wonderful, full, fulfilling time of worship where God really poured in and took out? No. No, this is your responsibility daily. Daily to say, God, okay, here I am. Whenever that time is, it doesn't have to be at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, but there must be time every day to worship the Lord your God. And for those of you that work on Sunday sometimes, you better pick a day that you say, this is a day of worship for me and my family. Are you in the house? Why do you need to worship? Because worship is a place of what? Cleansing the altar. The, 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 the seraphim took the coal from the altar, placed it on his lips, and purged him. All his iniquity was taken away. When you really worship God, when you really enter into worship, it's going to be a place of cleansing. You ought to leave that experience feeling, guess what, clean, a little bit cleaner. My mom used to get us mad when we were little. We used to, get, we used to go take a shower, quote, unquote. And I don't know if you've ever done this. I know maybe just us because we're boys and boys are bad like that. But we'd get in the shower, Brother Kenny. We'd turn on the water, right? Oh, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. So let me, let, we'd turn on the water, right? We'd go in and turn on the water, and we'd run it so my mom could hear it, right, Sister Lupe? We'd run the water, right? But guess what? Guess what? Do you think we got in? <laughs> Brother Gary, are you raising your hand? Are you guilty of this? <laughs> He's like, I still do that. Oh, praise God. <laughs> it was three of us. I know my brothers did it. They didn't smell any different. In fact, they smelled worse when they got out of the shower. We run that water. My mom would say, and you know what we do? We just, we, we, we'd put our head in a little bit, mess it up. Did you brush your teeth while you were in there? Yeah. But all we did was what? There's times in our lives, please hear me, there's times in our lives you need to be cleansed. And I say this with all the respect that I can muster up. There are times that our flesh reeks to high heaven. And I'm going to take it a step further. There are times that our worship and praise reeks to high heaven. It smells like burnt flesh. Because that's what we offer a holy God. We need to be cleansed. I've had to admit I've fallen on my face figuratively, spiritually, and I've said, God, that was terrible, and I know it. Cleanse me. I don't want to be a foul odor in your nostrils. I ought to spend another month talking about the kind of worship God rejects. Things that he says, this is an abomination to me. This is strange fire. This isn't what you're supposed to offer me on this altar. This stinks. God in heaven at times will say, this irritates my nose. Wow. Who needs to worship? Who needs to be cleansed? Let me settle the answer for you in case you think you don't need to. You. And you, and you, yes, you, sister, yes, you too, and you too. Don't be standing in the shower. Don't be standing in the church and not getting in the water. 
Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Don't be running that water and standing outside like that. And then after church, say, good word, pastor, praise God. That was powerful. But you're running the water the whole time but staying outside like that. Wetting your hair a little bit. How is that church on Sunday? Praise God. Who cares? You still smell. Because you need to be what? Somebody shout, I need to be cleansed. Come on, somebody shout, I need to be cleansed. And guess what? That happens when we worship God. I'm not telling you to do it right here, right now, but it's, this is a daily thing. Lord, wash me and cleanse me. And that happens when we worship God. Worship is a place of cleansing. 1 John 3 and 5. And you know that he was manifested to do what? To take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Worship is a place of cleansing for us. And we need to worship because we cannot put it up there. We cannot see the justice of God. We cannot see the holiness of God. We cannot see the majesty of God without discerning his glorious mercy and his grace in Jesus. How can we see the throne of God and not see the grace of Jesus? No podemos ver la gloria de Dios i'm gonna say that again you can't see the glory of god without simultaneously seeing the grace of god new testament here it is new testament 101 you can't see the glory of god without seeing the grace of god at his right hand any glory that is preached now without grace is no glory at all because grace has a name and his name is jesus of nazareth I wish you'd help me bring this sermon home. We can't see the glory of God without the grace of God. Who is seated at the right hand of, of God? Who's seated at the right hand of the Father? His name is Jesus. You got to hear me. Now we point people to who? To Jesus. If we see the glory of God, we're going to see the grace of God simultaneously. Be careful of people who preach the glory without the grace. That's not the glory of God. This glory is always going to give you a clear picture of the one seated at the right hand, and his name is Jesus. Who did Isaiah see? He saw Jesus on that throne. You can't know the glory of God without seeing the glory of the Son. And that Son is a manifestation of God's grace. You and I are saved by grace through faith, and that grace has a name, and it's Jesus of Nazareth. You ought to thank God for the grace of God. Yeah, clap your hands and give God praise. You ought to see the mercy and the grace of Jesus. How many love the grace of God? I love the grace of God because without it, this sinner would never be saved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved Y'all can't sing it because you don't like calling yourself what you are that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, but he was, you know it by memory, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Lastly, Isaiah, watch it now, here's the order of events. Isaiah met with the Lord. He was convicted of his sin. He was cleansed of his guilt and was then ready to serve. Isaiah met with the Lord like hopefully you met with the Lord. 
was convicted of his sin, was cleansed from sin's guilt, and was then ready to serve him. When did you meet the Lord? Do you remember? Some of you, it's vague. When did you meet the Lord? After you met him, were you not made aware of your sin? Were you not convicted? But after that conviction, were you not cleansed from its guilt? Do you remember feeling like a ton of bricks had been removed from your backside? I'll never forget when my cousin got saved. He ran to, he, he literally drove, he ran inside the house of my parents. And he said, Tio, Tio. It, cousin, it was, it, was, it was Daniel, it was little Daniel. And I'll never forget the day he got saved. He ran to the house and said, Tio, Tio, I, I gave my life to Jesus. They weren't raised religious at all. He ran into the house and his face was glowing. I mean, this dude, his face was glowing. We're like, oh, oh, okay, calm, calm down. We were all like, what in the world happened to him? That feeling that his sin had been forgiven and that his guilt had been taken, there's nothing like it. Born again, there's really been a change in me. Born again, just like Jesus said. Born again, and all because of Calvary. I'm glad, so glad that I've been born again. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Should I go on or should I sing it? I won't hurt your ears. Your sin was taken away like Isaiah's sin was taken away. And it was taken because the one sitting on that throne was Jesus of Nazareth. And that coal was taken and placed on his lips because your lips are forever connected to your heart. And I pray that today, if you've yet to do so, that your mouth, that with your heart you would believe in Jesus and with your mouth that you would confess him as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't confessed him and believed in him in your heart and confessed him with your mouth, then today's your day. I pray that you do it. We need to meet with him. And a 30-minute song service is not enough. It's woefully insufficient. Rebuild the altar of worship in your life. Do it daily. And if it's in ruin, repent. And say, God, help me to live a life of worship. Because you're worth that much to me. Everybody stand. Come, Junior.